Hey world, and welcome to the Shape of a Star podcast, where everyone has a story. We just need to shape it so that, like, we're the star, or something like that. So we welcome to our new Hot Topics episode. That just basically means that when I record these, we're not releasing them in the order, and there's a specific reason and purpose for this to happen at this time when you're listening. So on today, we have famed author making his debut for novel and interviews everyone welcome clay hey how's it going it's great how are you and thank you for choosing us to debut your world absolutely i mean you've been uh sliding into my dms for the past half year talking about doing this thing and i was like i need to get some interviews out of the way so it sounded like a great great place to uh get dip my toe in the water so yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to this yeah i'm super happy so uh first up is your little bio introduce yourself to these wonderful listeners and people yeah so uh i'm an epic fantasy author and my debut novel called flames of mira is going to be traditionally published in hardback uh through uk publisher uh, rebellion and it's coming out in the u.s and the uk uh july 5th of this year and on top of that i'm also a Pitch Wars mentor, and this is my second year mentoring, and I was a mentee back in 2016 as well. So yeah, that's the skinny on me. That's the skinny. I haven't heard that phrase in forever. Mm -hmm. I'm bringing it back. Well, hey, it deserves to be able to come back. Oh, also, everyone, I forgot, this premieres on 4th of July. Happy 4th of July, everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah, the day before uh, the day before my book comes out. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. So, all right. Thank you for introducing yourself. So well, let's start with the basic question. So how did you get into writing? Oh, man, how I got into writing? Well, I mean, the same way a lot of people did in the very, very beginning is just I got into reading. And I, back when I was a kid, me and my best friend would uh, buy the same books at the bookstores, and we would have competitions to see who would uh, finish reading it first. And so that's how I kind of fell in love with the whole reading thing. But how I got into writing specifically was... Back in high school, actually it was eighth grade, I was kind of a big old nerd with no friends. And so I turned to the internet to go find friends. And I came across this uh, this forum that was for Star Wars. And I was obsessed with Star Wars at the time. And it was actually a Star Wars role-playing forum called Star Wars Dominion. Shout out to them. It's been uh, defunct for years now. But yeah, so it was a Star Wars role-playing forum. And we, you'd basically create uh, profiles of like Jedi and Sith and you'd role-play as them. And, yeah, I did that for like, I don't know, three years or something. And then I kind of fell out of that uh, once I got older. And then I started doing novel writing my second semester of college. So I was 18. Uh, it was January. I think it was like January 16th. I, basically, what happened was I spent months and months just kind of thinking of these stories I wanted to tell. And then all of a sudden, it kind of just overwhelmed me one day. And so I ditched class. I went to the student store. I bought a notebook and a pen and basically spent like four hours writing. And then that started me writing every single day for hours at a time, doing it in class when I was, wasn't supposed to, just kind of being obsessed with that out of nothing. And then like a year and a half later, I had my first manuscript um, completed. And my goal was to get a book deal before I turned 20 years old. And boy, did that not work out at all. So that's... Uh, <laughs> Well, that, that's basically how I got into writing. With a dream. 
Yes, definitely. A big old dream that took a long time to, to, to accomplish, but wouldn't trade a second for it for anything. No, it's amazing how many of us started with like random role playing forms. Oh, was that how you uh, got into it too? Uh, yes, but I don't know. Well, I guess it was role playing. I guess it was the term was catfishing back in the day. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was like in World of Warcraft 3. Oh, not World of it was Warcraft 3 channels, mm. which you don't really role play in. But I was like, I don't want everyone knowing I'm like this eight year old kid. So I made up this whole other persona. Mm-hmm. And I just like devoted to myself to being like, yeah, I'm a high schooler, like everyone else on this form. Probably no one else was on high school. We were probably all lying. Yeah, no, I played uh, I played Warcraft 3 too. And I think that's what got me into League of Legends when I came out 10 years later, because that was based off of the Warcraft 3 and everything. And yeah, Dota. Yeah, so I was I played a lot of World of Warcraft in high school too. So I was that kid that was playing WoW and uh, role playing on Star Wars forum. So you can imagine how many people wanted to talk to me. It was. Uh... <laughs> I, I actually I have a twin sister and uh, she was like the cheerleader and the person with all the friends. And at school, I was known as Casey's brother. Like people didn't actually know what my name my name was because I was just kind of like that quiet kid that didn't talk to anyone. So, yeah, all my spare time was dedicated to uh, to doing that, doing the whole writing thing and playing video games. So, yeah. Oh, who was your main in Warcraft three? Warcraft three. Oh, that was so long ago. I couldn't even tell you. I don't even know if I had a main or anything like that. I just, you know, played the uh, the the modded campaigns, and I don't think I. I think I played it pretty casually. It's it's honestly it's been so long ago. I would say it's been like fifteen years now, so it's hard to really say. I could tell you what I was maining in like World of Warcraft, but that I think works Warcraft, too. Warcraft three was a little too far back. Did you play any World of Warcraft? I played some. My parents didn't want to pay for the online subscription because I was of that age demographic trying to get on World of. <laughs> But I would have been a night of hunter. Oh, nice, nice, nice. My uh, man, my dad hated the fact that I played World of Warcraft. He, you know, I'd be 15 years old trying to trying to play like on the weekends as much as I could. And there were multiple times where he basically just walked up to my computer and just unplugged and was like, "You're not playing this anymore. I'm I'm banning you from it." And so that's when the uh, the night excursions of of waking up at you know midnight and one in the morning to sneak on was that's when that started. So it was a uh, was a constant battle. <laughs> but uh, I can understand where he was coming from because I was spending way too much time on that game. As many people do oh, or yeah, did. Sure. Yeah. I know Blizzard's like in hot stuff right now. Yeah, yeah. But Reliving maybe- the glory days, yeah. With uh, they, they like relaunched it called the classic version. So I played that and I had a lot of fun doing that because I was kind of reliving old memories. Uh, but yeah, I, lo- I look back fondly on those days, even though I <laughs> kind of did that and nothing else. Who was your main in league then when you played? Oh man, I think because I had a numerous um, mains, and so oh, that's like, fine. I, you can just list them. <laughs> well, so I got into like diamonds, and oh, I got into diamonds. I'd like to, you know, back in the day when I play all the time, like play like ten hours a day, like the first those first few years of college. I'm so glad. Like I'm a really casual gamer now. I don't play that often, um, and I'm glad because that was not a sustainable. Uh, um schedule but yeah no so back then when i was playing league like a lot uh i was playing like uh trindamere um vi actually who's a character in uh arcane i actually i wrote a i wrote a guide for her on mobile fire that got like wow two and a half half million views it was like a jungle guide for her so i did that back in like i don't know 2014 or something it was it was several years ago and then i was i played rengar 
probably exclusively for like a full year and then gangplank and i don't know how interested your viewers are in in all the the, the characters i played in league of legends but yeah i was really into it back in the day i uh oh no we talk about this crap all the time yeah i kind of <laughs> have a i have a love-hate relationship with league where i haven't played it in probably a good year but for like the last five years i would install it play it for like two weeks uninstall it six months later do it again and just do that over and over and over again but I'm, I'm happy that I'm not like, you know, as into it now. It's just, it just doesn't interest me as much as it used to. I noticed that I don't, I'm not as into competitive games as I used to be. So like after playing WoW in high school, I played a lot of like Halo 3 multiplayer um, and played like Call of Duty and whatnot. And I would get really like competitive and into it. Um, but then, yeah, as I got older, I just couldn't do competitive games anymore. It just kind of gave me too much anxiety. And I just, I don't like, it's funny because uh my wife likes to play board games and i don't like to play board games because when i lose i feel bad about myself and when i win i feel bad that i beat the other person so it's just weird i guess i just have gotten less competitive over time it's just kind of like i want everyone to win i guess that's called compassion i guess yeah i suppose but yeah i still try and play board games on occasion and i play video games pretty rarely these days just because i'm so busy with with the whole writing and everything so yeah <clears throat> yeah no that's super cool though like i don't think anyone that has been on here has made it to diamond and wrote moba guides like or yeah or MOBA, whatever it's called yeah it was just it was just the one guide i was pretty proud of myself i was like posting it on facebook to try and get people to like upload it and everything and then that kind of just helped it get the the steam that it needed and then it kind of got really visible after that but it was yeah it was just that one guide I might have read your guide actually. No, oh, yeah. Yeah, because I tried Vi a handful of times. I'm really bad as mm -hmm. like bruisers and like tanky yeah. characters, which is odd because I'm a good tank because I just charge in. And that's another thing too. I play very casually as well. Mm -hmm. And for those listening, oh, Brad Hunter or Brad's episode um, is uh came out already it's like episode 19 i think and mm -hmm. brad and i we roomed in college together and we played league i got him in the video games <laughs> and so we just played league but we're both like super casual gamers and we we're part of the toxic community i'll fully admit it and oh yeah play, that's why we play it because it helps us regulate our own selves oh yeah kind of get the worst the worst of you out of it in the in the video game so you can kind of function as, as in society after that exactly mm. and but we do a bot so we're not really hurting anyone else and we just mm -hmm. tell everyone do not do not gank our lane please forget we exist we have our lane handled mm -hmm. as i'm adcing jana and he's playing lux yeah because we could just shield each other for days and we actually won i'm a level seven jana oh nice <laughs> adc everyone yeah i uh like like i said i was super competitive back in the day and you know i'd rage all the time when i'd lose but I'm glad that I taught myself early when I came to League to never type in chat. So I like literally never type because I know that as soon as I start typing in chat, that's when the toxicity gets way worse. So yeah, yeah, I'm just I'm just happy I don't play that stupid game anymore. It, yeah. <laughs> For fun what? fact, everyone, Chem Dragon got banned today. Oh yeah, yeah. Like oh, they so yeah. No, so I actually I watch a lot of League of Legends on like Twitch. So that's kind of like how I vicariously le uh, live is that I stop playing league, but I still watch, you know, streamers all the time. So I'm actually trying to, to curb that so that I can focus more on like being productive. But yeah, I've, I've had a, 
a years long obsession with, with with watching Twitch on my phone. That makes a lot of sense because that's how I stopped playing Pokemon. Oh yeah, I just watched the Nuzlocke videos now. Yeah, yeah, I. Uh, but yeah, no, it's like when man, I was so happy when Arcane came out and I found out that Vi was like the main character because she had like a special place in my heart for such a long time, and I I think that really enhanced my my viewer experience with with the show. Um, yeah, so I was I'm really excited to see when uh, season two comes out and, and all that because it's just a really freaking good show. Do you think season two is going to be about the same story, or do you think they're going to pivot to like a different realm of Rune Terra? I guess that's what it's called. I think I think it'll be both. I think I mean everyone loves Vi and Jinx's story and um, just all like the, they've done such excellent groundwork with all the the existing characters that I think they'll they'll probably. Uh, branch out but at the same time you know keep them as part of the story they might not focus on them quite as much but it'd be crazy because i mean they left so many like loose ends with it and, and yeah. how it ended yeah i'm really i'm really looking forward to seeing uh um gosh i it's been a month and i already forget the what's the country that um what's her face's mom came from uh i know who you mean i don't know her name but it's uh, Darius's home hometown, home Noxian? country. Noxus. Yeah, Noxus. That's right, Noxus. Yeah. So like uh, the the one girl's mom visited from Noxus. So Noxus seems pretty crazy just because it has like Darius and Draven and all those crazy characters. I think Sion too. So Katarina. Yeah. So Ethiopia. I'm, mm -hmm, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to to seeing more of that country and just like the larger world, especially because you know I've I've played mmos for years and they they're developing an mmo for runeterra so they I know are. They, oh yeah yeah they they announced it uh, i think a couple of years ago um i think there's still a ton of work that has to be done so it probably won't be released for a long time but i know that once it does come out and say like five or ten years i'm probably gonna if i still have a day job you know <laughs> re request a week off and just play it nonstop. so i'm looking forward to it what other games have you requested a week off to play uh, well, when Classic WoW came out, I requested some time off for that. Um, I don't think I've really requested. I considered requesting time off for New World when that came out last fall. Um, but I tried that, didn't really like it that much. Um, and then Elder Scrolls Online, I'm pretty sure I requested time off. Oh, I did request time off for when Star Wars The Old Republic came out in like 2011. I was deliriously excited for that game when it came out. And so I was obsessed with that game for probably like three months and then just kind of got over it. Like so many other people did. Um, and yeah, ever since then, it's like, I don't really pick up new games these days. I play the same ones over and over again, super casually because it's just so hard to get into new stuff. And because everything is so stacked these days, as they say in league terms, that these champions are so stacked, their abilities, new games are so much harder to play. I wouldn't know. I haven't, I haven't tried playing them enough to, to find out. It's just, uh, I, I do want to play Dark Souls. Uh, I was kind of tweeting the other day about I'm really excited for Elden Ring. Um, so I think I might try to play the, the Dark Souls games because it's the same, you know, guy that made Dark Souls. And all, it's also got uh, George R. R. Martin kind of producing the, the lore behind Elden Ring. So I'll probably play that next month when it comes out. So, yeah, that's probably the only game that's really on my radar right now. Oh, and then also Ashes of Creation, which is an, another MMO. I've played a lot of MMOs, so... That's yeah. admirable. I don't like open world, so MMOs mm -hmm. are not entirely my jam. Yeah. But those who do devote, I'm so jealous. 
Yeah, these days it's hard. Like if a new game comes out, I get super hyped for it, but I need like I have a, a circle of friends that I'll play with. And so we all kind of like coordinate together. Like my wife, she's a big gamer too. And so she'll kind of participate as well. Um, so like, I don't know. Have you heard of Valheim? It came out last year. I have heard. That game blew up. And when that game blew up, me and like four of my friends, um, we played that like nonstop for, for three weeks. And so I think, I think the group aspect of it is what I find really attractive. Um, I don't think I would play any MMOs if I didn't have anyone to play with. So I will have to, any future games, I'll have to force my friends to play, which they will, because they, they love doing the group stuff as well. Because it's a cycle of toxic peer pressure. Exactly. Who needs real world responsibilities and accomplishments when you can just sit on your computer with your friends? <laughs> Speaking of such, this is a perfect segue into Pitch Wars. How did you discover Pitch Wars? I mean, I discovered it the way that most people discovered it. I think I just was... Uh, I had been querying for a while at that point, and I was kind of just looking for a way to kind of get my foot in the door with, uh, with publishing. And so I, I think I was just, you know, Googling different stuff and then i came across it and yeah i think that's what got into it. i think the first year that i applied was 2014 didn't get any requests uh, applied again in 2015 didn't get any re requests applied a third time in 2016 i got a single request and then that person ended up julie lauren who's also debuting this year um she ended up uh, picking me as a as her mentee so yeah Took, took me three years and it was uh very that yeah the whole the whole pitch wars thing as a mentee experience was it's hard because um when you get picked as a mentee it's super exciting and even if you tell yourself not to create certain expectations about like the agent showcase because everyone wants it to be like a cinderella story for them where all the agents are kind of clamoring after them and they you know sign with an agent a week later get a book deal three months after that and you know movies yeah, yeah, but that's that's not it for the vast majority of people, and uh, and so yeah, when I was a mentee back in 2016, you know, I told myself over and over not to kind of get my hopes up, but it's just like when you want the dream that badly, you kind of end up convincing yourself anyway. It's kind of like hoping. It's it's hard to get rid of that hope that you you'll be the exception. And so when the showcase came around, I only got, you know, a few requests. Meanwhile, um, like Tony Adiemi was in my class. Oh. Yeah, she was a superstar. There were a ton of superstars in 2016. And so, and I was in the YA category, actually. So I got into writing YA. And so, you know, I, I told myself not to compare myself to, you know, the people getting dozens of requests, but that was next to impossible. And so it was really hard to kind of come away from the showcase with as few requests as I did. And so afterwards, you know, the weeks that followed, you know, I sent the, uh, the request of material out, nothing came of it. And I actually, I think I did this, what I would consider the smart thing is that I had already started on working on something new once the showcase rolled around. And so as crushing as the showcase was, and the fact that I didn't get an agent out of that, I had a new project that I'd, you know, fallen in love with. And so it kind of kind of stoked that fire of hope that, you know, I could still, you know, make something of myself. And so I know that a lot of people really struggle with uh, 
after the showcase, it's kind of like a hangover almost. Cause I mean, that's how it is in all stages of publishing is you get this big, exciting news. I mean, it still happens to me to this day where I'll get these big, exciting news, you know, like getting my book deal or getting like edits back and, you know, these big flashy things like my book cover. But then a day later that, you know, that joy fades and you're just stuck waiting around again. So the, the, the secret to kind of having that stamina to keep writing is to be able to cope with, with those long stretches of not having anything. And so that's where having something that you're writing that you really love doing kind of helps get you through those moments because it, it would be really bad. Otherwise, at least it would be for me. No, I'm, I'm so happy you're being open about this because you don't ever hear about how the showcase goes for people. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm super vocal about this stuff because it, I feel like when people talk about their, it seems like it's kind of like an old school mentality almost where you kind of want to, you know, put yourself on this pedestal and hope that other people perceive you that way because it will kind of give you clout somehow. But I've never really bought into that. I think that if, if you're in a position where you've had success and you talk about how hard it was to get there, you'll um, a lot of other people go through those same things. And if they realize that, oh, the people that actually you know, succeeded are going through the same exact thing that I'm going through. Maybe it isn't so difficult to persevere and, and try to achieve what, what they've achieved. So yeah, I've, I try and be as open as possible with how, how hard it is. And man, it's been, it's been hard. I've had some, some tough months, but I'd like to think that it was all worth it. Eventually got my, my debut coming out and everything. So yeah. Hear that everyone clay does not buy into toxic masculinity. No, I do not. No, I do not. I try not to. But yeah, I mean, uh, actually, going back to the 2016 showcase, I didn't get many requests and then everything fizzled out. I don't know how many people know this, but I actually got an agent offer in like 2017, I think. And I actually ended up declining that offer. Ooh. And so that was tough because you know, everyone, when you're a querying writer, the, the the only thing you want is to get an offer of representation. But the downside of that is you end up convincing yourself to make decisions that you probably shouldn't as far as like querying agents that probably don't have, can't really do the things that you want to do. Like my dream was to kind of, you know, be in Barnes and Noble, have uh, a book deal with like a, a big publisher and everything. And so I ended up querying far and wide because I was just so desperate to get that. And so I ended up querying agents that um, I, if I was being honest with myself, I wasn't, didn't want to sign with, but I was hoping that if I got an offer that I could leverage that for a better, better offer, which is not something you should do. Like there's a good reason why they tell you not to do that because it can really put you in a tough position, which is the exact position that I found myself in which is I got an agent offer and I was so stoked. And this agent was, you know, super gung ho and was great. But the agency that she worked with wasn't the agency that I wanted to um, be part of. And so when she made the offer, I started um, digging all of the agents that uh, had my query out to let them know that I had an offer of representation. And uh, some came back saying they didn't have time to get to my manuscript, which is one reason why they tell you not to do that um, is because when you 
query someone and you let them know you have an offer of representation and all of a sudden they have, you know, say two or three weeks to read your book and get back to you. Some agents can do that. Other agents, they don't have the time because uh, some agents just, they just, they have say have a full list because the number one priority with agents is that are their existing clients. And so signing new agents aren't on the top of the, of their priority list. And so what ended up happening is some agents got back to me, letting me know they couldn't, you know, read my book and the people that could read my book ended up passing. And so I was stuck in this position where I had this agent offer that I didn't want to take. And all of these agents that I had queried that I had wanted to work with said, rejected me under the presumption that I had an agent offer, which I did, but I didn't want to take it. And so after I said no to the agent offer, I couldn't do anything with the book that I had because I couldn't query it because I had, or I couldn't query it to the agencies that I had, you know, queried previously, because as far as they knew, I had an agent offer. And so it was, it was just one of those stories where desperation caused me to make decisions that I shouldn't have. And I look back at it and regret that I had done that. I feel like that's one of my only real regrets when it comes to um, my whole writing career as a whole is, is doing that. Um, but anyways, you know, I, after that point, I kind of just went back, I worked on something new, which ended up being this epic fantasy novel, because previously I had been um, writing young adult. And I, uh, I realize now that I had been writing young adult for the wrong reasons, where because I started writing really young. So I kind of got into writing thinking that I would write for the audience that I was a part of. And that and that belief kind of persisted over the years. And so as time went on, and I was, you know, writing more and more, and I kept staying in the young adult audience, I didn't actually like many of the young adult books that I had been reading, but I still considered myself a YA writer, because that was just what I had always done. And so after I, I after I declined that agent off, off, offer, I kind of uh, reassessed like what it is that I like to write. And I had, you know, I grew up loving Star Wars. I grew up loving a lot of uh, big um, sci-fi fantasy um, IPs. And so I was like, let me just write, uh, let me just try, you know, uh, an adult fantasy, like an epic fantasy. And so I started drafting that and then did that and eventually signed with my current agent, Joshua Bumas. So yeah, I realized that that's what I'm actually good at writing and that I'm no good at writing young adult because I just don't, I can't write for the target audience. And so, yeah, that's where I'm at today. Which is a real thing. Yeah. It's so hard to write for a specific audience if it's not just who you are. Yeah, yeah. I found myself back in the day that I was, like there was one, um, there was one manuscript because I got my sixth manuscript published. And so I think it was like my third manuscript that I wrote, or maybe I think it was my third. I, it, that was a spite manuscript. So there was a YA book that I had read that was a bestseller and I hated it so much. And I was just so upset that this guy was able to have so much success with such a bad book that I decided to, to spite write this manuscript. I was and, about to say before you said guy, if it's Twilight, I will happily read it. <laughs> no, it was not Twilight. And that's another thing that I uh am have no problem admitting is uh 
in junior high school, I found out that there was this new movie that was um, being released in theaters that I saw the uh, trailer for. And it was about this girl that moved up to Washington and met this guy that had these supernatural powers. I was like, wow, that sounds interesting. Had heard nothing about the books or anything. And what ended up happening is this was during Christmas. It, no, it was actually beginning of December, I think, if I'm remembering right. Um, I convinced my dad to go see it with me. So me and my dad ended up seeing Twilight together. And I liked it so much that I convinced my best friend Tyler to go watch it a second time. And after that, I, I asked for the whole series for Christmas and ended up reading the, all the books over Christmas break. And then in the months that followed after that, that's when I learned all about this whole Twilight community and how much flack they get for. And um, I was kind of embarrassed for a little while uh, and I recognize now that that was just a sign of immaturity that, and I've, I'm now a staunch believer that you like what you like and there's nothing wrong with it. Um, so like my, my wife, she loves twilight. Um, she was obsessed with it back in the day. And so every once in a while we'll rewatch the movies and, and I'll enjoy it. So yeah, no, no secrets there. I, I'm a, I'm a twilight fan. And Oh, well, <laughs> I'm obsessed with twilight. Every snow day I get, I watch Breaking Dawn Part 2 because it's immersive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, um, I, I wrote another manuscript that was set in the Yukon. And the reason I chose that setting was because uh, I, I liked the setting of Twilight. As I got old, like, like I'm, I'm older now. I've tried going back to the books just to check them out. And I just, I can't read them. But I really love the, the setting in the movies. Because there is, yeah, there's something really immersive about, you know, the the Great White North or, you know, that Pacific Northwest, you know, rainy, snowy vibe. And so I ended up actually basing one of my manuscripts in, in the Yukon to kind of replicate that, that feeling. So, but yeah, going back to what we were talking about, the whole, you know, spite writing um, a bestseller, um, I feel like I shouldn't feel bad admitting it was, it was the Maze Runner. Um some things came out about the author that turned out that he was pretty, he's a pretty problematic person. So I guess I have no, you know, regrets about <laughs> talking about how much I hate the book now publicly now. Um, but yeah, but anyway, so I ended up spite writing this manuscript that was, that was inspired by the maze runner, if you will. And after afterwards, I didn't have any success, you know, querying it. And I realized that was because it read just like the maze runner. And so that was another hard lesson that I learned is that don't spite write. You can spite write, but don't spite write specific books because you might end up writing a book that sounds more like fan fiction than uh, than a hated novel. So, yeah, wouldn't recommend that. But that's how Fifty Shades of Grey became a thing. That's true. Yeah. So I guess it there's there's it works for someone. So maybe spite write certain things, but. Don't spy right the maze runner because I've been there and it didn't work. <laughs> oh, you're so open. I love it. So you already talked about, oh, wait, before we go there, let me tell you something super funny because we were talking about like agent uh, querying and like everyone's dream, right? Mm -hmm. So Sarah Nicholas, everyone, who is episode six, I'll go back and listen to Sarah's episode, is currently, I queried Sarah. And I was thinking on my way home today from my acupuncturist, I was like, wait. Sarah's gonna be the agent 
if if I get accepted, <laughs> big ifs. Mm-hmm. But holy cow, Sarah was my go-to person about if something's a good deal. Crap. <laughs> Who do I go to now? <laughs> as far as like a book deal? Yeah, or anything, just in publishing. I'm like, wait, hold up. <laughs> and now yes. that I'm saying it, if Sarah's my agent, that is their job. Anyway, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I wonder, because I mean, Sarah's a mutual friend of ours. I wonder if, like, because Sarah's an agent now, I'm sure their um, their schedule is a lot fuller. And so just kind of asking random questions and kind of, and I wonder if 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 Sarah kind of has, has time for that. Do you still ask her stuff like that? Or do you feel like she doesn't have time for that anymore? Uh, well, so Sarah and I talk about everything, like, nonstop anyway. Like, Sarah and I are constantly sending memes, so... Oh, okay, so you guys are, are pretty good friends. Gotcha. Online. I yeah. still have not been <laughs> accepted on the Facebooks yet, but... <laughs> I've been, like, uh, actually, currently, as we're speaking right now, uh, Sarah is hosting on Sarah Nicholas's YouTube page, everyone, a Kurt write-in that happens every week. Typically Wednesdays. Today is January 24th, everyone, so that's a Monday, but... Sarah and their co-host, Bess. Oh my God. Yeah. Bess Kurt, something. Anyways, they couldn't host it Wednesday. And so as I was getting ready to pop on here, I was like, wait, is the right in the night? Damn it. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because uh, when we were talking earlier, you mentioned why I hadn't been on Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. And I kind of thought about that question. And I realized that the reason I hadn't like tried to get on that or really any thing is kind of this this imposter syndrome that's kind of been persisting so i feel like that's just one thing that i'm trying to get over which you know i'm hoping you know doing stuff like this is 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 easier makes it easier at least and i realize that you know this whole long-form talking podcasting thing actually isn't as hard as i as i thought it'd be Uh, yeah, yeah so so thanks for thanks for helping me out here no problem. It's what I do every day anyway as a day job. I'm a therapist by day. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, are you? <laughs> yeah. I don't think I did. A school counselor, technically. It depends on how you feel about that, if you're a therapist or not. So you've got lots of uh, practice helping people work through their problems. Perfect. So it's, yes. it's, it's weird to think that this, because at the time of recording this, you know, it's January 24th and... It'll be July 5th when this airs. And so my book will be coming out tomorrow. And it's 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 kind of exciting to imagine what I'm going to be doing on the date of this airs because it'll be the day before, you know, this dream that I've been pursuing for, for a decade finally comes rea- a reality. And so it's kind of exciting to think about. That is uh, super exciting, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of cool because there, it's like... For the querying writer, there are kind of these milestones that they they focus on, which is, you know, signing with an agent and then getting a book deal. But then there are these other milestones that come after that, that I'm sure writers are aware of. But as you approach them, they become a lot more exciting. So it's been really cool to kind of uh, encounter these milestones myself. So like when I signed my book deal, I got to announce it to the world. That was a really exciting milestone. Um, getting edits back from my editor and doing that, um, getting uh, cover art, like um, they do the, you know, they'd send me like drafts of it and I get to give my feedback and everything. That was a really exciting milestone. Um, when they asked me for a map of my world, 
and I ended up spending five hours. I taped like these um, eight and a half by 11 inch printer paper sheets together. I think there were like five or six of them and basically just spent like half of the day just drawing in detail this massive map. And I sent it to them. And then the illustrator for Rebellion, I think maybe like a week or two later, sent me back like an initial draft of it. And I was just completely blown away by seeing... I took a pencil and just started drawing shit for like six hours. And now this professional illustrator to this publisher is making this professionally made map out of it. It was just like, how the fuck did I get in this position? That is just so mind boggling that I was able to like experience stuff like that. So just like experiencing that. And the reason I brought that up is the, the milestone of getting published, you know, when this airs, it'll come out the next day. But like uh, at this current time of recording, um, I've got like my arcs coming. Those will probably come in the next couple of weeks. So I'm really excited to be able to, you know, open a box and see actual physical copies of my book that I get to hold in my hands. Um, the, the closest thing I ever came to that is like the very first book I wrote like several years ago. Um, I went to, uh, I think Kinko's and spent like $70 printing it out. And then I got it bound with this like really shitty, like black spiral thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then I had like, uh, those, the plastic covering on the top and everything. And it was so exhilarating to hold that and to, to jump from just knowing how I reacted to that, to going to like holding arcs of my book, I'm imagining it'll be like a super like profound moment for me. So I'm really, I'm really looking forward to like recording that moment and doing like a whole unboxing video. And everything. I was about to say, you're going to do an unboxing. Yeah, I want to, I, I, I don't know how I'll react. Um, I'm really looking forward to it though. Um, and then like another milestone is that I got like my, uh, my first past pages today, which is where it's a PDF of my book as it'll look in physical format. So it's all, it's got the typesetting, it's got the formatting. It looks like a physical book just on a PDF. And so seeing that was really cool. And so uh, the reason they sent that to me is I have to go through it and kind of check for any typos or anything. It's kind of like my last chance to change anything um, before it goes to print. And so, uh, as far as I know, currently, um, it will go to print like mid March in anticipation for, you know, the J July release. Um, cause I don't know how many of your listeners know about this, but there's kind of this paper shortage that's been going on. And then on top of the, uh, the supply chain issue, which actually goes back to, um, something I wanted to bring up. My book actually got delayed from April to July because of the paper shortages and the supply chain problem. So, and when they, and then when my uh, publisher initially made the book deal offer, my book was supposed to come out fall 2021. And so I've had two delays just because of this whole panini and uh, the supply chain shortage and or the paper shortage and all of that. So I'm praying that nothing crazy is going to happen and that my book gets delayed again, but let's hope not. But yeah, lots of exciting milestones going on right now. So. And that's also yeah. interesting to hear because everyone always says like it takes forever to get your book published once you like get the contract and all that. But I thought it'd be a lot more downtime than only like how many months out, six months out, and you're still doing stuff with the thing, still able to change and edits. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the reason because um, I think between when my book deal gets announced and or between when I got the book deal offer 
And when it's coming out, it'll be two years and three months, I think it'll be. And I know that my publisher kind of, and it's been so long because of the delay, but I think when they plan, they plan for like a year and a half lead time. And the reason for that lead time is just because they expect, you know, um, the editing stage to take a while. So um, it took a long time for me to get edits from my editor. And then I had to do those edits. And then I had to do copy edits, which are kind of like small scale edits. Um, but then that took a whole, you know, that took several weeks. And then they had to do like the whole cover design and the, the map design. And I'm not too familiar with what they have to do on the publisher side when it comes to like retail retailers. Um, but there, there's a whole, like from the editing point of view, it, that I feel like that takes, I don't know, like half of the amount of time. Um, and then the last half, the back half of it has to do with like the formatting and the proofreading and the typesetting and the, and the putting the order in for the print run and just all of that, that stuff that has been pushed back to, you know, it only takes like, you know, six months before the due date. So there's so many freaking steps, so many steps. <laughs> do you get a say in how big the font is? Nope. Um, how big the font is? I don't think so because when it comes to font size, that is a that is a money question because the bigger the font, the more pages mm -hmm. that's going to cost. And I don't have any say in how much the publisher is willing to fork out for something like that. So, like for instance, um, when the map got designed and everything. I had a whole conversation about whether or not it would be black and white or colored. Um, and I was able to convince them to do a colored map because wow. I have a really like, um, I don't want to like spoil the map, but it's like a very like, so the, the setting I mean, of my it's world, gonna, this premieres a day away. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. I guess maybe cause I, I kind of want to pitch like a map reveal to my publisher. So maybe it'll be live by that time, but how I want the map to be is, um, so like in my in in my story there's a there's a whole group of people called cartographers and their job is to map out like the world and the world actually is primarily underground and so you've got this like vast underground subterranean network that is largely unmapped and unexplored and so this these cartographers kind of go through and, and do this 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 mapping out and it's really dangerous and so my map I wanted it to be like an actual in-world map that exists and it's owned by one of the characters. And so the map is like, it was originally created by some car cartographer in the past. And then the character cartographer in the story, she owns that map and so she's annotated it. And so she has kind of her notes scrawled throughout the map and everything. And so I wanted her notes to be in a different color and so that's kind of why I wanted to pitch this idea of, of having it as a colored map. And so, you know, that took a whole like approval process because um, colored maps, you know, cost more money to produce than black and white. Um, and so, yeah, there's, it's funny how collaborative publishing is and how little say I have in things outside of the story itself. Um, but I mean, I've, I've had, had a really good experience so far. My publisher has been awesome as far as, uh, being willing to work with me on, on stuff that I want. 
No, that's super cool, actually. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> world yeah, no, exclusive or world premiere, I guess, ish. Yeah. <laughs> In chronological time, who knows about publishing time? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, I've, I've been wanting to get published for a long time. And so now that I'm actually, like, going through the process, it's really exciting for me because I've just been waiting for so long. And so I, I love talking about this stuff just because it's, it's just really exciting for me. Yeah. Uh, oh, there was, a, I had a comment though. It was about like how, oh, I think, <laughs> so you created a publisher's dream also too. So say like Clay Harmon's book is like the thing that blows up in the world, right? You now have map merch that is so easy <laughs> to people to sell. It's like why there's a, the horse in Frozen 2. Oh, right. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, cause a big thing that authors are expected to do um, before um, their book comes out, like they don't have to do it, um, but it's something I'm going to do is, is pre-order campaigns. And so just trying to figure out like what I want to do with like a pre-order campaign. Um, I want to like commission art and whatnot. But another thing that I'd want to do is, uh, is kind of print out something with my map or do something with that map. But then that again comes to the whole approval thing is that the thing is that map technically belongs to my publisher. And so I think in my contract, I'm allowed to distribute stuff like that as long as it's for marketing purposes. I just wouldn't be allowed to sell it. And so I'm hoping that I'll be able to like do a map among other things. I might do a bookmark, I, was, I don't know, but yeah. I was wondering about that because when you said get art commissioned, I was like, can you? <laughs> like I can, I mean, the thing is, is that the story the intellect is is all intellectual property that belongs to me so i'm the owner of of all of that stuff and so i'm allowed to do whatever the hell i want as far as like if i want to commission some art based off of one of the characters i i could do that let's say if if my publisher creates art for my story they they own that art so i can't you know do something with art that they've created or I can, but I have to get approval and everything. But yeah, when it comes to like commissioning like my own art, I you know I, I can do that. Oh, that is super cool, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's like I'm part of this whole like um, 2022 debut group, and I've seen some of the art that they've commissioned. Um, uh, like uh, an acquaintance of mine, uh, Chelsea Abdullah, who's um, debuting in May she's posted some phenomenal cover um, or some phenomenal just art based off of her book. And so when I saw that, I was like, man, I need to do something like that because that looks so freaking cool. So yeah, just seeing some of the stuff that comes out um, of the other members of the debut group just kind of hypes me up, which is kind of the whole point of the debut group is we're all about hyping each other up and kind of getting each other excited. So quick question then, because that's a good point. Um, I think I, I don't remember if I asked, wrote this down for, to ask you, but about like your network of like author people because you were delayed from 2021 to 2022 does that mean you're kicked out of the 2021 debut groups well the thing is is that it took me 14 months to sign the contract and so i wasn't even like doing anything about like joining debut groups until my contract was signed and when my contract was signed i had already been pushed back to 2022 so oh, I wasn't okay. I wasn't part of any 2021 20, groups or anything like that. So no, nothing like that. Um, but as far as like groups that I'm part of, um, I'm part of the 2022 day group, debut group, but there's so many of us that it's hard to really find like really deep friendships out of it. 
I would like to, but it's just so hard to, because if you think of it this way, it's kind of like you've got all these other authors that are kind of, you know, coming up on their own. They have these successful, you know, books that are coming out. And I have a habit of putting all of them on a pedestal, even though I'm technically in the same position that they are in. And so it's really intimidating for me to try and like approach them and kind of befriend them. So I know that's, so I'll kind of do what a lot of writers do. Um, you know, we'll follow each other on Twitter and I'll kind of engage with them and hope that I, you know, seem like a cool and interesting person. So maybe they'll want to be my friend at some point in the future. Um, I've got a, I've got a few friends um, in the 2022 debut group. I think, well, actually, I think it might just be the one, which is Scott Drakeford. His book, Rise of the Mages, actually comes out in like two weeks. And so, but I was, but I was friends with him before that. So I think that's the only reason I have any friends in the uh, 2022 debut group. But apart from that, I'm, I'm part of like a, a discord uh, server, shout out to the fake G discord group, which actually came out from pitch wars. And so there's like a few dozen of us that are active members. And so I, I talk to them on a fairly regular basis. We kind of all celebrate each other's wins. Um, it's been, I've been so busy lately that I don't pop in as much as I, I try to, but as far as like groups that I'm part of, I feel like I'm not, I don't have a ton of groups. I feel like people tend to overestimate how like in the circles other people are. Cause it's kind of like, I would imagine people that um, apply to like pitch wars, for instance, and they know that I'm a mentor. Some of them probably assume that, you know, I'm buddy buddy with all of these mentors and we're all just part of this giant clique or anything like that. That's not true at all. Like I have like a few mentors that I'm kind of friends with, but only talk to you on occasion. Um, and then most of the mentors, I don't even know that they're mentors until I click on their Twitter profile. Like it's a very like fragmented group of people that kind of all came together at the same time from all these different writing backgrounds that got all kind of got approved at the same time to, to become mentors. And so it's, and the nature of being a mentor is pretty um, solitary by its nature. So it's hard to really, it's like during like the, uh, like back in like October or yeah, back in October when everyone was, had already um, submitted and was kind of like watching the mentor feeds. Like I was having fun, like engaging with other mentors and like pretend shit talking with them. Um, and I kind of made a couple of friends out of that. Um, but overall, like that was kind of the extent of like my interactions with them. It's like, as soon as like um, I picked my mentee and got into provisions with her, like that's, she was the only person I was focused on. So it's, it's hard to kind of socialize in that aspect. But I think that just kind of goes back to my, my point that, um, people might see me as like, say a debut that's coming out. That's part of this 2022 debut group. That's a pitch wars mentor and thinking that I'm like part of this big community where I have all these friends, but I only have like a few friends. And I feel like that's the case for a lot of writers because just the nature of writing is pretty solitary and it's so just decentralized. You know, most people are just at their houses or at the local coffee shop writing. There's not like some big um retreat that people are going to together and meeting each other and socializing like in high school or something um like worldcon yeah like worldcon for instance so yeah so worldcon was actually a great um opportunity to like 
meet people. There are some people that I kind of engaged with on Twitter that I kind of knew their names, but didn't really know them that I got to meet, which was really awesome. Um, so I was able to make a few friends out of that. Um, but it's like, I'm a pretty introverted person. Um, I'm, I, I guess I'm a good conversationalist, but when it comes to like meeting new people, it's kind of hard for me to kind of just do that. Um, and so like at Worldcon, for instance, I was able to, you know, make friends and everything, but not as many as I might've liked. But like this year, for instance, with my book coming out, I'm going to like, I, I want to go to Worldcon in Chicago, for instance, and maybe get on some like panels and, and, and do the whole public speaking thing and see how that goes and maybe meet some more people. It is the most fun thing on earth. Yeah, I'm hoping so. Cause the alternative is that it's terrifying and I, it's a total train wreck and I'm hoping that that's not the case, but I'm cautiously optimistic that it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I can give you advice as someone who, cause I do a lot of panel speaking at like conventions and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, well, I will say my demographic is a little different than other conventions. Most of the people I go to, like they put me in primetime spots and everyone's drunk that comes up anyway. But <laughs> like for some reason, just the idea, kind of like how you were saying, like you put your fellow authors on these pedestals and all that, right? Yeah. Well, literally when you're speaking, you were put on a pedestal above all these people. And yeah. it's like this weird mentality that I'm like, look, I barely know about this topic, but I submitted the panel. I got the panel. I'm going to tell you everything I know and believe about it. And people take you for God. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's where the whole imposter syndrome comes in. It's like I kind of oscillate between feeling confident that I kind of know what I'm doing when it comes to writing to like, how are these people actually listening to me? I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm a total failure kind of thing. And it's just, I feel like that kind of, that, that latter experience lessens over time. I, you know, I kind of have slowly become more confident and feeling like I know what I'm talking about, but at the same time, having that voice, that critical voice is kind of useful because I don't want to ever become the type of person that just assumes that I always know what I'm doing because one, it won't, it will leave me kind of closed off to alternating perspectives. And two, it runs the real risk of giving like bad advice to people. So I try and, you know, temper that and try and be as open as possible to to other advice because there are so many different ways to to write a book yes every single person i hear go on qqq which by the way i guess i should tell everyone this now so hey everyone when we say qqq we're talking about queries qualms and quirks which asks asks, asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication Author Sarah Nicholas, shout out again, interviews authors of all genres and how they got started writing, getting their book deal, and their experiences with publication. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or find it on YouTube. Or go to sarahnicholas.com. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H to learn more. Yeah, and I know Sarah. And Sarah is incredibly knowledgeable in the field of publishing and is just an all-around very pleasant person. So I would highly recommend it. Yes, me too. Oh yeah, I. How did I meet Sarah? I think I was just like watching Pub Talk Live because I have another friend that's like super knowledgeable because like she's wanted to be an author since she was like four, mm -hmm. and so she, you know, like how you hear a lot of people like, oh, I didn't know a lot of stuff going into like the publishing and trying to query and all that. That is the opposite of my friend. My friend knew everything, and 
was encouraging me all through college, like, yo, you like writing. And I was like, I don't need to be published. I just like doing it. No, you can actively pursue this because you actually stick to it. And then you're not bad either. And you're very collaborative and just these tons of praise. So I'm like, fine, okay, whatever. And I just learned through all the process. And she was a fan of Pub Talk. So I was just in Pub Talk. And now I like co-host things <laughs> with Sarah. That's pretty awesome. So Sarah's awesome. Everyone go check out QQQ, all the Pub Talk Live archives, episode six of this podcast, because Sarah was on it. <laughs> Sarah's one of the first people to agree to come on. So I was like, yes. Nice. Nice. Oh, and big shout out to Sarah, who taught me how to actually do a podcast. Oh, yeah. How many, how many episodes have you done? Um, recorded or released? Uh, recorded. Uh, let me check real fast. You are episode. You are the forty fourth episode I'm recording. Oh, so you've gotten a lot of practice so far. We like to think. <laughs> did did you uh, did you struggle at all in the beginning? Well, to be fair, okay, so it's not actually it's public knowledge. No, um, the pre well, but also the people I brought on originally are people I well, most of the people I know in real life anyway. Mm -hmm. So the whole concept of this podcast came about because I know all these people that I think have amazing, cool stories that the world should hear, mm -hmm. but they don't think they have cool stories. That whole like imposter syndrome that you keep talking about. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of have to like wring it out of them. Which is just like therapy anyway. So yeah. <laughs> so I'm just like, all right, cool. Let me pretend to not, not be at work for a second and let's share the world your cool story. So also I really like public speaking and that's half the reason I have this podcast. I literally also decided to do a podcast because I bought this microphone because I liked the fact of, oh, I have a microphone in the middle of the pandemic too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, when I was younger, I thought I was bad at public speaking just because I wasn't as prepared as I probably should have when I was in those positions. But then I realized over time that if I know what I'm talking about, like I do a really good job when it comes to public speaking. So I'm hoping that once I kind of get over that initial fear of you know being in front of a large group of people, being expected to talk about, say, like publishing. Um, I'm hoping that I'll uh, do a, a fairly good job. So I'm actually kind of excited, um, over, you know, to do stuff uh, in the future. It's kind of nerve wracking, but at the same time, I'm looking forward to kind of developing that skill. Ooh, and I'm so excited to watch that journey and remember where you started. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, I don't think you understand how we were this close to meeting. Because the second, Wait, really? I, yeah, because I I live right by Worldcon where it was. Oh yeah, yeah. And once I found out it was happening, I was like, oh my god, when is it? I'll try and like swing by and like say hi to all these cool people like flying around or floating around. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't in the state that day. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Yeah, I I think uh, conventions are really valuable in very specific ways. Um, the thing is, when it comes to my agent, Joshua Bonas, he is a very established and successful agent. Um, he represents some very big name authors. And the way that he actually met the vast majority of the authors that he signed is was through conventions. And so even when it comes to, like, say, Brandon Sanderson, he met Brandon Sanderson back in, you know, like 2004 or something at a convention. Um, and that's how he's met a lot of his clients since. And so when it comes to agents like that, I think Joshua is fairly unique in that situation. Um, I know that a lot of agents um, are totally fine with, with signing people 
um, that that can't go to conventions. In fact, I'm, I feel like it's virtually every agent, um, but it benefited me specifically um, because I met Joshua at Worldcon in San Jose back in, I think it was like 2018 or something. Um, and when I met with him, he, I, oh man, that was such a, a fraught weekend. Um, because right before uh, I went to the world, uh, to the convention, uh, he had requested 50 pages of my book and it wasn't until he requested those 50 pages where I, um, started looking up like where he was going to, you know, like what he was doing, like kind of just more seriously considering like what if he signed me because it, it was just a partial request. So chances are still pretty slim at that point. Um, but when I found out that he was going to Worldcon, which was like three hours from where I was living, because I I grew up in Fresno, um, you know, I was determined to go there. And so I went there and the idea of meeting Joshua Bilmes was like the most terrifying thing to me. And so, man, that's a whole story in itself where I was like, I, I signed up for this thing called Coffee Clutch, which is what agents do at conventions where you sign, you know, 10 people can sign up uh, to sit at a table with an agent and kind of pick their brain for the, for an hour. And so I went to the oh, convention. Oh, an hour? That's actually a long time. You would think, but it's actually no time at all because you go to the Coffee Clutch hoping that you can like pitch your book or like establish a connection with the agent. But then you realize that nine other people are there at that table trying to do the same exact thing. And it was actually not good at all but anyway I'll, I'll get to that so i went to the convention hoping that i could you know go to his coffee clutch and meet him and you know say hey i'm the person that you requested those 50 pages from and i got there and i um a friend of mine aaron who was a 2016 pitch wars mentee along with me she was visiting from washington and so i met up with her and was kind of hanging out with her and she this was probably like, this was Friday night around like nine or 10 o'clock. She's like, hey, Clay, um, I have to drop off these ribbons to uh, this party um, to, to a friend of mine. Do you want to like tag along? And I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? And so we go to this hotel that was kind of down the block because these conventions kind of are in these kind of clusters of, of hotels where a lot of the attendees stay. And so we kind of go to this hotel off the beaten path and we go into this like courtyard that's in the, in the center of the hotel. And there's this kind of like courtyard publishing party going on. And I'm like, oh, this looks interesting. And, I, and my wife was with me as well. And so we go in there and we realized in like 10 minutes that this was like an invite only party that we definitely were not supposed to be in, but nobody like stopped us from walking in. So we were like, okay, I guess we'll just pretend that we were invited all along. And I remember sitting there and everyone was drinking and I look across on the other side and there's Joshua freaking Billman is like talking to people. And I just kind of like freeze like a deer in the headlights. Like, Oh my God, I'm trying to meet this guy. That's like the whole reason I'm here. Like, can I talk to him? And so I spent like the next like 15 minutes, like nervously talking to Aaron, like trying to summon up the courage to like talk to him. And eventually I like, because Joshua was kind of like slowly like meandering through the party, like talking to people. I tried to coordinate so that like I would run into like his direct trajectory and would like start, start a conversation with him. And so when that happened, he kind of, you know, I kind of was like, Hey, when 
when I was finally talking to him, I was like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm Clay Harmon. You requested my 50 pages. And he was like, Oh, okay. And it was very clear that he had no idea who I was. And that kind of deflated me a bit. Um, because the thing is, is that agents get a ton of queries each year and yeah. they get a, they, they'll make requests, but oftentimes, um, at least with Joshua, um, his, his assistant will make the initial request. And then once she makes the request, he'll review it. And so he hadn't reviewed my request yet. And so he had no idea who I was. And so I tried to like talk to him and it just went awfully because I was just so nervous and I can talk to people. Like, I feel like it's a total crapshoot when it comes to like have me like having conversations with, with, with people it either goes like really well, or it just goes like really, really bad. And it was the latter when it came to him. And so it just was like a total train wreck. And I left the party afterwards, just like totally de dejected. And then, so the next morning I signed up for the coffee clutch and an hour before the coffee clutch was supposed to happen, I was in one of the hotel lobbies, just like kind of playing with my manuscript, just kind of like biding my time, just trying to figure out like what I'm going to say to him. And then Joshua comes walking in and sits in the chair, like directly across from me. And like, it was totally unplanned. And he's, he's on his iPad because he does a lot of his work on his iPad. And he looks up and he kind of does a double take. He's like, oh, hey, Clay, how's it going? And I'm like, oh, my God. Wow. You remember, you remember my name. Your name. Holy shit. This guy knows who I am. Um, and so we kind of talk very briefly. And then these these publishing guys come walking up and, you know, Joshua has, has a meeting with them. And so Joshua was like, sorry, Clay, I have to go to a meeting. Um, but, you know, it's nice talking to you. And he actually introduced me to these publishing people. And that was awkward in itself because... I didn't have like any business cards and they like gave me their business cards and like I had nothing give, to give back to them, but it, I was so nervous. I didn't think to myself to say, Oh, I don't have a business card. So there was like several seconds of me just standing there awkwardly, like holding their business cards, like, Oh, well, thanks. See you later, I guess. And so, <laughs> yeah, that was another awkward moment for me at that weekend. And then, so I went, but I went to the coffee clutch and I, you know, sat down with him and nine other authors and it didn't go nearly as well as I hoped. Um, and then I kind of left afterwards, you know, kind of feeling, you know, kind of dejected again. But then later that night, I kind of went to another kind of like social thing that was going on. And I saw Joshua again, and he was with one of his other clients, Nick Martell, who actually published uh, through Saga in 2020. And his third book, uh, I think it's Legacy of the Mercenary, Legacy of the Forgotten. That's right. That's actually coming out this year. Um, but Joshua waved me over and introduced me to Nick and was like talking to me. And I was like, conversing with them. And at that point, I kind of was able to kind of talk like a normal human being. And so I, you know, talked to them for a bit and I kind of talked more to Nick than anyone else. Um, and so after that conversation, I felt, you know, a lot better about myself, you know, that I actually talked to him and he, he knew who I was. And then later that night, I went to like another thing and Joshua was at this another thing and he was sitting on a chair with his iPad and I go up to talk to him and I realized he was reading my book on his iPad. Like, and this was at like 10 o'clock at night, everyone else was kind of socializing and whatnot. And he was just kind of in the corner by himself, just reading my book on his iPad. And I was like, holy shit, is this really happening right now? And so that was Saturday night. And then Sunday, I'm, you know, just, it's the last day of the, of the convention or the last day that I'm there. And I get an email at like 11 or 12 in the morning and it's Joshua and he's like, Hey, Clay, just letting you know that I have enjoyed, you know, talking with you over this weekend. Um, I got a chance to look over your pages and I was wondering if you'd want to, you know, get dinner before the uh, Hugo Awards 
later tonight. And I'm like, oh my God, yes, for sure, absolutely. And so we ended up meeting um, in the lobby at like four o'clock and we walked like, the thing about Joshua is he loves to walk. He is uh. a huge walker. <laughs> and even though I'm really into health and fitness and I love to run, I hate to walk. And Joshua is kind of infamous, infamous for walking very long stretches. And but luckily he only took me like two two miles away, so it wasn't that bad. What? But then, yeah, yeah, no, I know it wasn't that bad compared to what like some of the other uh, excursions that he's gone with with people. Um, but we ended up getting dinner at this uh, Indian place, and he we ended up eating dinner, and he proceeded to take the next forty five minutes completely tearing my book apart. <laughs> and he uh, at the end of the whole thing, I was kind of mildly traumatized by the whole thing, and I was like so you hate my book. I didn't actually say this, but I was like, so do you want me to like do changes and send it back to you? And he was, and Joshua was like, Clay, if I didn't want you to do that, would I have invited you to dinner and spent 45 minutes offering feedback on your manuscript? And I was like, all right, say no more. And so afterwards, I, that that's what ended up happening after that is I went through the uh, revisions gauntlet with Joshua, which is what he's famous for, which is what he's done with. So he's met a lot of clients at conventions and he's done revision gauntlets with all of his clients too. And so before he signed with me, he, for months, he would go back and forth with me. I think for my first 50 pages, he went through three drafts and then he went through two drafts of my full manuscript. And then I ended up signing with him, uh, like a year after I sent my initial query. And it was probably like nine months or so after uh, that Worldcon where I met him. So yeah, it was a whole thing. Yeah. But but anyway, so my original point was that um, do as I say, not as I do, whereas conventions are really valuable in the sense of making connections but don't like go to a convention expecting that to happen to you because joshua is kind of an edge case where he's a very particular way of of doing things and i was able to kind of sign with him through that route um but going to conventions is, can still be valuable to meet other writers and to network and to do those things but the one thing, the one downside, which I hate is that it's, it's a, it's a cost barrier, you know, um, conventions could be hundreds of dollars and you might have to spend hundreds of dollars just to fly to them. So it's a luxury that not a lot of people can afford. Um, fortunately it's far from a necessity when it comes to querying. Um, the, the vast majority of people that end up signing with their agents and getting book deals, just do that standard, you know, cold querying route. Um, and it works out just fine. Um, but if you're able to afford to go to a convention, I would recommend it. Um, I just would do a very large caveat to that, to like, not don't go into it expecting anything because I think a lot of people do and end up being disappointed. Like, cause at the end of the day, like you can still go to it and like make some really awesome friends out of it. So yeah. Or memories or memories. Yes, absolutely. For sure. I would like to point out, though, so we spent, like, the first part of this talking about, like, hey, I like to set realistic expectations, like, it, there's not a big writer click, <laughs> blah, 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 and then you have the Cinderella story. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I guess I, it's kind of a, a contradiction, because the thing is, is that when it comes to advice, there are things that 
generally work most of the time, but there are always exceptions to that rule. And so I was an exception to that rule. So I like to talk about my journey um, just because some people might find it interesting, but I try to stress repeatedly that that is not, don't, don't expect that to be your path. And especially with this whole pandemic thing, um, publishing has gotten increasingly decentralized. Um, agents haven't been going to as many um, events. And so that's how they're, that's how they're finding their clients is, is through cold corning because that's, you know, how people do business these days. So yeah, that's, uh, that's my, that, that's how I, uh, I, I know we didn't go into this expecting to talk about how I ended up getting signed, but that's, that's how I ended up getting signed. Hey, this is all about your life story. I'm happy to hear. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But also, okay. So actually relooking at all the questions, because if you don't know by now, which this is like episode whatever, uh, I pre-send the questions. So rechecking the questions. We actually touched a lot of stuff already. But something we did miss is, so you already talked about how it is to be like a mentor for Pitch Wars. It's really personal and you're not really with everyone and you don't even know until you're on Twitter and all that. So why was I not good enough to be chosen as a mentee? Oh man, I have so many things. So many th I'm just kidding. So... It's funny you asked that. Um, I know you're kidding, but it, yeah. it kind of it kind of reminds me of just how hard it is to find a, a mentee in pitch wars. Um, to set a deadline on a mentor to find a mentee in six weeks, having to go through hundreds of, of entries. Every single one of those entries starts out as just like a standard query letter, a synopsis in 10 pages. Mm -hmm. and, then you, and then you have to narrow that down to just the ones that you feel like you could work with and then request and then read all of those requests and then eventually find the person you, you end up um, uh, accepting as your mentee. Like time management is paramount, but time is working against the people that, that end up applying. Like it's so much of it is about you know applying to the right mentor at the right time i mean i guess it's less about the right time because everyone's applying at the same time but just having the right story at the right time for the right mentor it's kind of it's kind of similar to cold querying in that sense that a lot of factors have to line up at the same time for it to work out because i would love for publishing it to be just a merits-based system but it's not in a lot of ways because it's all about, so it's kind of like people consider it as being, um, you have to be lucky or there's a lot of chance involved. And I agree with that, but I don't like to frame it in that way in the sense of like it being like a lottery to where you just kind of buy a ticket and someone spins a wheel and it lands on you and you get chosen to be the, the, uh, the person with the book deal. The way the way I kind of frame it is if you're persistent for years and years and years, these chances and these opportunities will arise. And the longer you work toward it, the better you put yourself in a position where you'll be at that right place in that right time to where like I staunchly believe that if you work toward it long enough and you and this is really important that that you kind of go with it, like with a growth mindset, like a lot of people they'll like they'll try to pursue publishing hoping that you know 
they've got the story that's that's the best story and everyone else who's putting out stories is doing it wrong. Um, that mentality is really bad because you can't grow as a writer with that mentality. So I think that if you're persistent and you are constantly striving to be better, eventually there will come a time where you're at the right place at the right time. Because the thing is, is that as a mentor, um, the, the chances of like, cause I think I got like 270 people applying to me and, wow. it, was, and it was, it was almost 300 the year before. I mentioned this on Twitter, but like the chances of there being exactly one person that has a book that deserves a book deal is, is impossible. I think there's more than that, but, um, and if there's more than that, then it's all about, you know, applying to the right mentor and just getting your manuscript in front of them at the right time. Um, it's just, it's just a lot of these things. So I think that if you're really persistent and you're just constantly striving to be better, you will eventually find those moments, which which helped me that and being a mentor helped me realize that a lot that it's not just about writing a good book. It's, it's, it's more than that, unfortunately. And I hate that it's like that, but I can't change it. I wish I could, but I can't. Yeah. But also to like, I hate the term piggybacking. What's a better way to say it to continue off what you were saying, I guess too, like when you put yourself more in those positions, it's more chances for opportunity as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like, yeah, you just keep going at it and these chances will come and go. And as long as you're open to taking risks and going outside of your comfort zone, like how that applies to my situation is I had never been to a convention before and I decided to go, outside my, I decided to go outside my comfort zone and go to San Jose to meet Joshua. And that's how that worked out for me. So I, I went outside my comfort zone and I just had my eyes open, just looking for opportunities while constantly striving to just like become a better writer and just persisting through the years. Like I queried for eight years. It took me a long time. Um, and I know that some writers have been going after it longer, but I know that a lot of writers have been going after it for not that long. And I know that they get really discouraged and, and feel like, you know, maybe this can't happen. But talking as someone who took a long time i would like to believe that you definitely can do it oh you're so encouraging to all the people with dreams i want everyone to to, to succeed in their dream because i know how badly i wanted it and i want other people to to get it too yeah. Okay, so you already mentioned that you play a ton of video games, and we already talked about the games you're into, like a bunch of MMOs and stuff. Yeah. But there's a picture on Twitter of you playing Xbox with your cat in your lap, and you're wearing like a nice shirt, but your sleeves are rolled up. It's like a button down. And the question I like to ask everyone I see that is, how on earth do you keep your sleeves rolled up so well? Because that is like a true talent, and there's an art to it. Just lots and lots of practice. I, uh, I think I know what... <laughs> I can't believe we're talking about this. Um, the picture that I think you're talking about was before, like I was kind of working out, but I wasn't as serious as I as I am now, and so my my arms weren't quite as big, and so I'm going to seriously answer your question right now. I was able to roll up my sleeves a lot easier back then, and it's it's harder now because these sleeves get too tight if I try and. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. So my biceps weren't quite that big back then. And so it was it was easy to uh, 
to do it like that back then, but I can't do that anymore because it gets too tight and cuts off my circulation. So what you're saying is I'm swole. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. You're just extremely swole. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> but now I have I have another reason to roll up my sleeves these days is because I got my uh, my first tattoo, which was to celebrate my book deal. So yeah, I've kind of been posting pictures on Twitter, but you know it's very colorful. So yeah. So one of my questions about that was that I didn't get a chance to ask it is, do you plan on getting a tattoo for every book you release? Yes. So that was a uh, a plan that I've had for a long time where I wanted to get a tattoo that kind of celebrated that I'm a writer, but I promised myself I wouldn't get it until I got a book deal. And so then, yeah, once I got the book deal, that's when I scheduled the tattoo appointment. And so I my plan all along has been to kind of get a sleeve, but um, to start with one piece. And then as I kept getting published to kind of pick something from each book and kind of add to it. And so this one's the biggest original. It's eventually going to be a full half sleeve for my forearm. Um, originally, it was just going to be much smaller, but I just got so excited that I decided to just do a full half sleeve. And so eventually I'll, I'm hoping to kind of to do it, you know, all this and maybe like all this and whatnot. But yeah. I know you people Before can't it. see this through a podcast, but Clay just put my arms to shame by showing off where he's putting <laughs> his new tattoos. Yeah, so I'm I'm really looking forward to like I've always wanted to have two sleeves. I I've never imagined myself having more tattoos than that. Um, I know that once you get tattoos, the desire to get more kind of kind of comes lurking out of the shadows. So maybe I'll want more beyond that someday, but. So far, the only I can only really envision myself having, you know, the two the two half sleeves. If I even get that far, we'll see. Depends on if I keep getting published. Well, actually, I was wondering, like, what and originally gave you the idea to start all these tattoos and do it this way? Because Lady Gaga actually does this every album she releases, she has a different tattoo on her body, and that's how a lot of people identify some of the pictures they find of her. They're like, okay, um, okay, her unicorn tattoos here. This is after Born This Way. The trumpets here, that's after cheek to cheek. So what inspired you originally? Because I don't know if it's Lady Gaga for you. <laughs> um, originally, like to get a tattoo or like the tattoo itself? The tattoos of each book. Um, I don't know. I think I just, I, I grew up in a family that would have killed me if I had gotten a tattoo at a certain age. And so I was very like hesitant to get a tattoo. And so I, when I decided I would want one, I wanted it to, I only wanted to get something that like, like profoundly represented like who I was as a person. And so when I became obsessed with writing that, you know, it made sense to do something writing related and, but it was really hard to like, know like what specifically that would be. And so eventually I just kind of came on this idea that, cause I've always liked sleeve tattoos. Um, but to have like one idea dedicated to like an entire sleeve just sounded like an overcommitment to me. So I just kind of just came about with this idea that I would, you know, get a half sleeve or get sleeves eventually, but it would just kind of, I would work toward it over time. And just if I kept getting published then that, it would contribute to that. No, it's really hard to commit to a tattoo that you would like. I've had this struggle my whole life. I'm probably never going to get a tattoo, but I finally picked one that I would want 
Did you ever watch Digimon? Because you're of my age-ish. <laughs> I was really into Pokemon. I just didn't have the time as a uh, as an eight year old to to dedicate myself to another TV show. Boo. Okay, so the Crest of Hope is like the sunrise looking shape thing, and okay. I would want it as a tramp stamp. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes. I like that it, design. Yeah, and I also want it in gold because it like when I'm tan and it would be visible. It's not too like obvious. Uh huh. Because I don't know how I'd handle a tattoo. Like I got a spray on tattoo on my calf once of a phoenix. It like freaked me out. Because like this is not part of me. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, I it off immediately. Yeah, yeah. I was I was really nervous. Like even though like I knew. So the because another thing with getting a tattoo was I kind of wanted to prove something to myself because I've I've always had like a phobia of needles. Um, oh. Yeah, like I if I have to get my blood drawn, I will get a panic attack. And I've I've passed out from a panic attack before um, from getting my blood drawn. Like people, like when I tell that to people, they'd be like, "Oh, well, you know, some people just pass out when they get their blood drawn." For me, it was I got my blood drawn, and then as I was kind of in that, like afterwards, like just kind of recuperating from it, that's when the panic attack kind of set in, and so then that's when it got really, really bad. It was it was like those five to 10 minutes after getting my blood drawn. And so um, I found out that there's such thing as a butterfly knife, which, or a butter, not a butterfly knife, a butterfly oh my needle. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, no, I'm not getting my blood drawn with a butterfly knife. Oh, it's like that's where you got a tattoo. No, like, no, no. So there, there are these things called butterfly needles where they're really like wide. And so when they draw your blood, it's really fast. And so like the last time I had to get my blood drawn, I was really proud of myself because the nurse suggested I do the butterfly one to get it over really quickly. And she said that it was really wide. So that kind of like made me nervous. Um, but then I had like the brilliant idea right before to be like, let me just like have a conversation with this person while she's doing it to just to distract me. Cause before I would try to like listen to music, like I would bring my like headphones in and be like, Hey nurse, is it okay? Like if I blast music in my ears while you, draw my blood and they'll be like yeah sure that's fine but that ended up not working and so then i tried just like talking to them and just like hey just ask me questions just ask me anything i don't care just ask me something so i can respond and she did that and it actually it well, my experience was way better that's what i do actually oh do you oh yeah i don't have a fear of needles themselves i just cannot deal with them going in me once they're in i don't care and they oh, can do really? whatever they want with it. Yeah. So I always have to look away, but I'm like, keep talking to me. And I'll just ask questions because it's like, whatever. Mm -hmm. I like asking questions. That's all therapy is. And hey, I have a podcast to do it. So <laughs> I'm always like, so blah, blah, blah. And then I, I like to make the nurses crack. <laughs> as far as like making them laugh? Yeah. Okay. Because I'm always, I don't know. I always like, take it before I die. Because who knows what will happen from oh, this. Yeah. <laughs> And so I just go super dramatic and I make them laugh and I'm like, ha, I won. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, 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 I found that, that talking really helped, but anyway, so like I knew that I had a really tough time with needles and I, I've historically had a pretty low pain tolerance. And so I wanted to kind of prove to myself that I could get a tattoo um, because I would just kind of think of myself as a coward, just kind of, it's just kind of this, this self-imposed judgment thing that I had on myself that wasn't reasonable, but you know, it's hard to kind of shake something like that. And so that was another reason why I wanted to get a tattoo was to kind of just overcome something like that. And so it's really helped. It's, it's weird though. I don't know if it's helped with 
it's funny because I know your your listeners can't see it, but like I have like a tattoo that covers most of my forearm, and it's taken. It took so far. It's taken I think like seven hours of just the artist just drilling into my arm with a, a, a gun, like a tattoo gun. But I, with that said, I feel like I still might struggle getting my blood drawn because I just don't have that association between like this little needle that's poking me thousands of times a minute to like this big ass needle that's like penetrating my arm to like draw the blood from my body. So we'll see the next time I have to get my blood drawn. We'll see if the tattoo helped at all. <laughs> well, I hope it does. Me too. <laughs> no, it was actually really funny. Uh, I have another friend who has a similar phobia, but she also is like she can't handle her own blood. So she was doing the she was at the sink and she knocked a glass into the sink, and she didn't even try to reach for it, but the glass like bounced up and like cut her finger. Yeah, and she saw the blood and just passed out, mm-hmm. and. We had I so we live in the same apartment complex. So I had to go over, help her and her husband get her in the chair and wheel her down in the computer chair to the car. And I had to drive, and there was a whole thing, right? And so we get to the like doctor place, and she was just all like, Oh, I I'm fine, I should be fine. I didn't need to come. All I need is a band-aid, blah blah blah. And then she goes back there and they're like, Oh no, you need stitches, pass out again. <laughs> Oh man, I've never had to get stitches before, um, but I can't imagine how I'd how to, how to handle that. I feel like I'd I'd really struggle. Ugh. Me too. I'd be like, please just knock me out. Yeah, you I don't even have. Dating. I don't even have. I don't even have a problem with blood. It's just the. I know exactly why I struggle with needles so much. It's because when I was getting like my vaccinations when I was like I don't know five years old or however old I was, um, my mom was a nurse, and oh. so. That's like nothing to her. And so when I had to get my vaccinations and she took me and my sister, I started, you know, panicking a bit. And my mom had the bright idea of being like, Clay, you're fine. It's not a big deal. Just, you know, hold them down or something. And so I had three doctors holding me down to give me my vaccinations. And I still, it's a very visceral memory for me. So I think that's why I'm so freaking scared of needles is because I got held down against my will when I was five years old by three grown men and had a bunch of needles stuck into me. So slowly getting over it, though. Yeah. Um, trauma comes in all forms. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> all right. Uh, so. So on a more positive note, that, that got a little uh, little heavy for a second, but I'm getting over it. So, yeah. <laughs> Nah, that's totally fine. You should hear some of the things people come out with on this show, which everyone oh, yeah. should go check out the other episodes. But oh yeah, that could be your like your selling point for it is is the big reveal about Clay's phobia for needles and his experience <laughs> as a five year old. <laughs> I mean, I can't make it the promo if you want. <laughs> uh, no, on second thought, don't do that. All right, so um, you post a lot of photos of you are in nature and the gym. Which I'm, you're not in Texas anymore, right? You're like somewhere norther. Uh, I never lived in Texas, actually. I grew up in California, and then oh, that's where Fresno she, is. Wow, I'm yeah. stupid. Oh yeah, <laughs> I uh, no, I. Um, it's funny that you mentioned nature because I said earlier that I grew up in Fresno, but that's not technically true. I grew up in this town called Oakhurst, which is just outside of Yosemite National Park, and then I ended up uh, moving to Fresno to go to college. But yeah, I mean, I grew up, you know, in the wilderness and 
with that said, I'm not, I like looking at wilderness. I like driving through wilderness. I kind of like walking through it a bit, but when it comes to like excursions out into, you know, the middle of nowhere, I don't have a huge tolerance for it. Um, and my wife hates camping, so we don't camp as much as I feel like I should. Um, it's really uncomfortable for me, but at the same time, I'm really happy when I do it. So it's definitely something that I want to do more. Um, yeah. Cause it's beautiful here in Utah. I was about to say, have you ever thought of like beach camping? Cause I could never last in the forest, but beach camping is a fun time. I actually have a really embarrassing st story when it comes to beach camping. Um, when I was like, I don't know, 19 or 20 years old, uh, my, me and my friends had this bright idea to go camping on the Santa Cruz beach for new year's. And it is really cold during new year's and it's on the beach where it's really windy. And so it wasn't until we got there that I realized that I had forgotten my sleeping bag. And I figured, Oh, if I'm just, you know, like around my friends, like pressed against them, maybe I'll be warm enough. And I realized that that was not the case at all. And so <laughs> my friend Declan, he, uh, he was nice enough to let me s scoot into his one person sleeping bag with him to where it was so small. We couldn't even lie on our backs. So it was me and him just spooning for the for eight hours, not actually like sleeping at all because we were so freaking cold that it was it was it was it's one of those stories that it was really awful in the moment, but it's actually really funny looking back to it. So my uh, my track record with beach camping isn't the best. I brought an air mattress. <laughs> you you brought an air mattress, no tent or anything. Oh no, we had a tent, but I oh. also had an air mattress. Did it, did it? Were you were you at least a little warm? I mean, it was like July. Oh, okay, so yeah, it wasn't it wasn't awful or anything. Yeah, I'm not going to like La Push over there in Twilight oh, right. Land. <laughs> Looks freezing yeah. over there. Yeah, I think maybe I'll uh, prepare better next time I go camping on the beach. But I live in Utah now, so not not much uh, ocean to uh, to venture to. Unfortunately, I actually live right next to a lake, which is, I think is the second biggest lake in Utah. So. It's actually a massive lake, so but there's not much beach here, but it's nice to look at it, at least. Okay, so we've been over that too, and wow, thank you for sharing that as well. But not a problem. It's, this is the tell-all, and I love it. Okay, so which place is more calming for you, nature or the gym? Oh, the gym for sure. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've been working out long enough to where it's just kind of like a second home. It it kind of ebbs and flows. Um, I'm very all or nothing, and I think that served me well in certain areas of my life. But it causes burnout in a lot of ways. Where like I yep. I, I don't half-ass the whole writing thing, and I think that's helped really you know helped me with the whole you know getting published and everything. Um, but I also don't half-ass it when it comes to the gym, and so. I'll go through these phases where like, you know, a few months, maybe three or four months, I'm really serious. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do like cutting with like the, my fat and everything. And I'll, I'll be really like on, on the ball with my diet and everything. But then eventually I'll, there's always one meal where I'll decide to like eat out or something. And then it's just, I fall, completely fall off the wagon for like three or four months. And then eventually I'll kind of convince myself that I'm not happy with how I look and then I'll kind of get back on it again. Um, I think that cycle is probably healthy because um, it allows me to kind of enjoy food without like having this kind of unsustainable mindset of how I think I should look. 
because I think it's pretty unrealistic. Um, but with all that said, I do, I do like working out and, and fitness a lot. And I'm kind of in that stage right now where I'm, I'm getting back into it. Um, but I'm trying not to take it as seriously. I'm trying to kind of have a healthier, you know, outlook about the whole thing. And it's kind of, it's been working out so well so far, but yeah, it's been going good. I was super fit a few years ago and I completely took your mindset the opposite direction. I'm like, eating just makes me happy and I'm fine with how I look. So yeah. here yeah. we go. Yeah. I, I, I'm hoping that I'll get there someday. Cause I feel like that's a, that's a mindset that, is really good to have. Um, for me, I think the thing that motivates me the most, and I don't know how healthy this is, but I will, I don't like thinking that the best shape of my life is behind me instead of in front of me. And so like that really kicks my ass into gear. It's like, if I think to myself, what if like, based off of my personal standards, my arbitrary standards of like, what if the best way that I looked was, you know, two years ago and it will never be in the future again. And that, that makes me really sad. Um, but I feel like hopefully that, like, I don't think that's a, a, that, I mean, obviously that's not a sustainable mindset to have because everyone gets older. They can't, you know, be in the prime of their lives up until the day they die. Um, and so I'm hoping I'll uh, grow out of that eventually. Um, but that definitely is a, is a source of motivation for me. What got you into fitness in the first place? Um, I don't know. I think, I mean, if I was perfectly honest, I think it was just that kind of like that that guy sense of competitiveness where I, I wanted to be like better than everyone else, where it's kind of like, I feel like that that kind of fueled my desire to write in the beginning too, where it's kind of like, I'm going to really kind of self-analyze right now. I got picked on a lot in elementary school and high school. Um, I didn't have very many friends. And then after um after i graduated and i kind of discovered my love for writing i kind of had this fantasy where i'd become this famous polish author and i would kind of you know become the the crowning achievement of my high school and i would you know all of the people that picked on me and that were mean to me in high school would you know look at me and be like man i wish i was i was him and then that you know the the whole getting really into shape kind of was just a different manifestation of that and so that's just that's definitely not what fuels me anymore. You know, in a certain way, I like the idea of, you know, you know, screwing the haters with, you know, success kind of thing, but it's definitely not like a thing that drives me anymore. Um, I, I just like fitness now just because I like, you know, being in shape and I like writing because I just love to write and it's not about, you know, spiting anyone or anything like that. Huh. You are so self-aware and have analyzed yourself so well. I'm just like over here like, wow, I don't know if you've ever been to therapy or whatever, but. I have not cow. actually. It's something I've always considered and it's something I've always wanted to do. Um, that I, I've i always considered myself a fairly contemplative person. Um, I try to like, like I'll talk about this without like sounding like arrogant or anything because I don't want to be that, come off as that type of person, but I've always considered myself, you know, fairly like self-aware and contemplative. And I feel like that's actually served me really well when it comes to writing, because when it came to like the stories that I wanted to sell and, or um, that I wanted to write. And I had to like, think like, what about me makes me different from everyone else. And obviously I can't speak on behalf of other people, but I would just based off of the stuff that I'd read 
at least in like sci-fi fantasy. Um, there, I, I feel like there was a lot of stuff about like really, you know, just serious issues and, and, and themes that I wanted to explore that I had, you know, kind of come aware of just through my own journey, you know, growing up that I kind of wanted to put into my own stories, which I think everyone does to an extent. Um, but I kind of wanted to kind of take it to another level and um, like my debut flames of Mira um, it's epic fantasy uh, it's we're still six months out from release at the time of recording um, and so I haven't had a ton of uh, like reader feedback yet just from you know people that don't know me um, but from what little I've seen it seems like people really pick up on that that sense of what I'm going for of of like the main character Ig, he goes through a lot of of stuff, like a lot of trauma and abuse. And um, he's just a very contemplative person. And that's a big part of his character growth is being able to, you know, grow out of that stuff. And a lot of a lot of what I write about just comes from like my own experiences and stuff that I've, you know, thought about. And I feel like that's kind of like just what makes my story different. And I do feel like my book is is fairly unlike a, a lot of of what's out there. So I'm I'm really excited to just see, you know, the the reaction once it comes out and everything. God, you're just selling this book more and more to me. I guess you're doing your job in this interview. Well thank <laughs> you. I mean I appreciate it. It's like it's it's hard because um that's like a big expectation that writers have, um, especially debut authors is is to market your book. And it's like I don't want to market I don't want to be that guy that, you know, stands on the street corner, you know, holding my book up, just trying to convince people to sell it because it's like not because like when it comes to books, you're expecting readers to sit down with it for several hours. And to that's like a huge time commitment. And so to just like stand on the street corner and just throw books in people's faces like that's not enough. You have to like go deeper than that. And like when I first heard that I needed to do that or not necessarily heard that, but kind of realized that it kind of turned me off from the whole like marketing thing because I just didn't know like if I was going to market to people and get to that level, it almost kind of came off as manipulation to me. And that seems really scummy. Um, but then I realized like I don't have to worry about that because I feel like people enjoy authentic authenticity. And so that's kind of just what I've been going for and so like i love talking about my book and just the stuff that's in it and if it ends up marketing it that's nice but that's not like my main focus i just want to talk about like the thing that i love doing which is writing and, and the story and what makes it different and what what i bring to it that i feel is different from what's out there no i fully believe what you're saying because i've said this too because i feel like i would kill the marketing and if i ever get published or whatever but I was thinking at your angle too. Like, it's not just you're selling your novel and story. Like, if you get people interested in who you are as a person, they'll want to read more of what you think and how you interpret what you think up here into the world and into a world that you create. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, yeah, I, I cannot wait for my book to come out and even like leading up to it when people start reading it. And if they like want to like sit me down and ask me questions about it, about why, like I have no hesitance about doing that. Like I'm so excited because I mean, you've got the sense, you know, so far, like I'm very open about a lot of things and I 
would want to be open about that stuff too, you know, to a degree, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's just, I, you know, I, I love talking about that stuff. Good. Prepare for your DMS. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's kind of ironic that I just kind of said all of this stuff because my main day job is marketing. Like I am oh. a marketer as a day job. I, I work at a tech company in Utah. And so I do think I do think marketing is very important. It's just how you go about it. That's, you know, that makes all the difference. So, yeah, that makes sense. Because you were talking about campaigns earlier. And I was like, how does he know about all these campaign ideas? Like, for just like, like, when you're talking about the bookmarks and the stuff to do with the map and stuff. And I was like, trying to think I was like, how do you know all this? I guess I have to pay attention to other people more. Or you also work in marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I went to school for. I went to school at uh, Fresno State. Um, and originally when I went to school or when I started college, I wanted to go into like astrophysics and like, and I wanted to do aeronautical engineering and or astronautical engineering. And right when I decided that, that's when I discovered my love for novel writing. And I realized that there is no room for both of those in my life when I'm going to college. And so... The whole like engineering, because I, I consider myself pretty good at math or I used to be when I was, you know, into all of that, you know, I'm, I'm really rusty now. Um, my dad's an engineer. Um, he's a civil engineer. And so I kind of inherited that from him. Um, but yeah, like I wanted to to do all of that. And then when I realized that I just did not have the time to, to write and do both like engineering, uh, I decided to um, just go into business like marketing. And that's actually how I met my wife was at Fresno State in a, in a marketing. It wasn't actually in a marketing class. We were in an economics class. Um, I was the guy sitting at the front talking to the teacher and she made the mistake of thinking that I knew what I was doing. Ah. And so she, um, she like toward the end of the semester, she added me, oh man, this is a whole different story. I actually, I worked at Barnes and Noble, you know, uh, when I first started school and apparently she would come in sometimes and like, look at me from afar. And I guess I talked to her at some point, but I don't remember the conversation. And I guess she had a crush on me. And then like a, a, a while later, um, like this was like two years later, we had that same class together and she noticed me at the front of the class talking to the teacher and she thought I looked familiar. And so she, she Facebook stalked me and realized that I was a guy that worked at Barnes and Noble. I wasn't working at Barnes and Noble anymore at the time. I was at Starbucks by then. Um, but then that's when she decided that she would add me on Facebook under the uh, the guise of needing help studying for the final. And so you got Aaron Samuels. Is that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I got Aaron Samuels. Is that that's from uh, Mean Girls, right? God, yeah, that's been I'm surprised I remember that. I am, too. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, she sat behind me and um, eventually added me on Facebook and we started talking. And Did she started... ask you what date it was? What was it? What was the date again? October something? October 12th? Third. October 3rd. Man, was so close. She did not ask me what date it was. But yeah, oh. we uh, we had started dating like uh, nine months after that. And four years after that, we got married. So yeah. Oh, well, actually, this leads into the next question, too. But also a quick shout out. I'm not the only one that slid in your DMs. Oh, <laughs> okay. So <laughs> you called your wife a witch in a good way online and she takes skill photos of you let's hear a shout out for her oh yeah so my wife megan she's uh she's 
freaking wonderful. Um, she's not here right now. She's working out of state. So she, um, her company flies her to California because she had that job when we moved. And so they kept her on and just would fly her back. Uh, she works at a solar company. Um, but yeah, so she's freaking awesome. I called her a witch because she's very witchy. She, uh, when she was growing up and actually up until like when I started dating her, she considered herself like a pagan. She was into paganism. Her, her family's very conservative and very Christian. And so she was very much not that at all. She, she's not into the whole paganism thing anymore. She's, she just kind of considers herself just atheist these days, but no, she's awesome. She's a big gamer as well. And she's into all sorts of cool stuff that, I consider myself very lucky that I found someone that, yeah, is is into the kind of stuff that I'm into. And obviously encourages your writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. She's kind of, she gets, she, oh man, she's, she's out of her depth a lot of the time. I feel like a lot of people that have significant others who aren't writers can relate to this where they want to support you and help you, but they don't really understand the problems that you're dealing with because, you know, they're not on that journey. They don't have that perspective. And so like she, she tried, she's tried, obviously she doesn't have to do it quite as much anymore just because I kind of finally got my foot in the door. But during those years when I was querying and whatnot, you know, I had some very dark days and she, you know, she tried her best to, to help me through it. And yeah, she did. She did as well as she could for someone who wasn't a writer. Yeah. Oh, love story of the ages. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's great. I'm also stuck I'm... that you worked at Starbucks too. <laughs> What's that? I'm also stuck that you worked at Starbucks too. That I worked at Starbucks? Yeah, I worked there for, I was a barista at Barnes & Noble for two and a half years. And then I was a barista at Starbucks for three years. So I was a barista for a very long time. I was part of that Starbucks life. Let me tell you, I just discovered pumpkin spice for the first time, like a few months ago. Oh really? Addicted. That that late on the train, huh? That that PSL that PSL train. Do you know what L PSL? Oh yeah. Wow, look at me. Not even that hip enough. But also, <laughs> You'll get there. okay. So <laughs> I've my whole life have been like I'm not basic. I'm quote edgy. Blah blah blah. Right. Around the same time, I started getting into true crime too. And then the one day I was listening to true crime after I just went to Starbucks, I was like, crap. <laughs> Oh yeah, you were, sick. <laughs> were you did you wear your Uggs to uh I actually did to Starbucks? Nice. nice. But also to be fair, those were not Uggs I bought. I had a friend in college and she's like, Oh, they stepped in snow with these Uggs, they're ruined. And everyone was like, No, just give them to Danny, he'll happily wear them. And it's been eleven years and I'm still wearing them, although they have a giant rip in them now. So I need to finally buy my own Uggs and just give in. But mm -hmm. I did not buy them, so I don't consider it. I basically dumpster dive for them. Nice, nice. Which I don't know if it's better, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, I miss I miss Starbucks. I don't. I, I guess I don't miss working there. I miss the culture. Like that's the only job that I've ever had where I looked forward to working at six o'clock in the morning because it would just be me and like my friends, just like doing shots of espresso and just like having the time of our lives and just getting to watch the sunrise and just imagining having to start at six a.m. at my current job. I'd be like, oh god, that's that sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> All right, so obviously you're here to promote your book. Let's hear the official pitch of the book. Oh man, so I'm still at that stage where I'm kind of like hashing out the, the pitch of it, but just like the basic premise of the book. Um, 
So it's called Flames of Mira. It's about a man named Ig who is forced to work as an executioner for this country ruler named Sorello. Uh, he's bound to Sorello by magic that will kill him if he disobeys any order. Um, and so when Sorello gets overthrown in a coup uh, and forces Ig to kind of help him retake the throne, uh, Ig has, will have to kind of discover, rediscover the person that he used to be before he served Sorello and kind of just find a way to escape. Uh, before he's forced to kill a lot of people. Um, and it features a magic system based on the periodic table. So Ig is bound to six elements, and it allows him to um, control the compounds that those elements are based out of. Um, I won't tell you what those are so that it's a surprise, but the process of getting bound to elements is a very hard and traumatizing experience. So there are not many people that are like him. So. He's this very powerful person that is controlled by a very bad person, and he has to kind of find a way to free himself. This is your astrophysics, not astrophysics, astronautical former dreams coming not through quite, right now. Not, not quite. Uh, this <laughs> has more to do with like chemistry and whatnot. Um, I never really liked that um, in college, but when I was trying to think of like a magic system that I wanted to make that I hadn't seen before, that's kind of what I came up with. And so that just what entailed was a lot of research involved. And I enjoyed the research. Um, but the reason I liked like the, the aeronautical or the, uh, the astrophysics stuff was kind of the more conceptual stuff about the universe and whatnot. Um, the, the nitty gritty stuff wasn't nearly as compelling to me as, as it might be for people that actually have that degree and pursued it. Um, but yeah, I love thinking about that stuff. It's really cool. And this is where your DMs for me converted from about the story to can you explain the science behind this? I'm lost. <laughs> I'll, I'll try my best. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an armchair scientist when it comes to that. So I'll be very careful with, with the stuff I say because there's always a chance that I'm wrong. But I did do a lot of research for this. So I'm hoping that people that do have a background in this stuff will find uh, some accurate stuff backing the, uh, the story about Ig. Okay, so I know you don't like participate in QQQ yet, queries, qualms, and quirks. I should actually use the real name, but you should listen to it and see how many people are like former doctors. Like all these people are in STEM. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. I love listening to to those people because just hearing like the passion in their voices when they talk about that stuff, and as well as like giving insight into something that I never would have been able to find, say, through just like doing conventional research, you know, through the internet is just so fascinating to me. So I love hearing about that kind of stuff. Oh, I wish I remembered this person, but you, there was this one episode where the author came on and she's a former nurse and she wrote a thriller about a nurse that was like a serial murderer too. Oh, really? And so she wow. was like, yeah, these are all the ways that like, blah, 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 <laughs> that things could go bad. Not that I did it, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's cool. Like, and she like chose a completely different field of nursing than what she did just to be like, you know, I didn't do this, I swear. <laughs> but that's really cool. Yeah, just like hearing, like you said, all the expertise and people, what people know coming through. Again, it's that whole like what you come up with your mind, people like who you are, and it comes through in a world you create. It's fascinating. Yeah, and I and I think that's why a long kind of these long form interviews are kind of taking off. Um is because it gives you know people you know two hours to kind of explore this thing that you otherwise wouldn't have the time to do. Um, so yeah, no, I I I love listening to that stuff. You know, two hours listening to a podcast, hearing about 
someone talk about STEM as the coolest thing ever to me. Woo! All righty. Well, that ends the main question portion of the podcast. Woo. Next up is the rapid fire question section. Question number one. What are your chosen coping skills? My chosen coping skills would probably be vegging out on Twitch on my phone and just not thinking about anything at all. Pick a side, Lancaster or York. Uh, is that a football question? Because I do not watch football. No. <laughs> that is just a geography question? It is a history question. Uh, is it a, does it matter that I don't know which? No, it does not matter at all. All right, then. Um, those Yorks, aren't those like those mint things? But I don't really like them. So I'm going to go with Lancaster. All right. Where do you stand on the Oxford comma? I think that it is amazing until it isn't. <laughs> Take that how you will. We have a hater. Um, I know. I actually, I use Oxford commas all the time, but every once in a while, I'm like, this sounds much better with that one. If I told you to bring a pie to pie day, what kind of pie would you bring? Pecan pie, for sure. I used fun. to love I used to love pumpkin pie, but I've grown to love pecan. It's my all-time favorite. Coconut cream's great too. Wow, you know your pie. I do. What is an innocent phrase that you have mistakenly or subconsciously weaponized? Oh man, that's a that's a hard one subconsciously weaponized an innocent phrase i have to really think on that one like when you say weaponized are you talking in terms of using it to just in a, like a negative connotation more like you said something you didn't mean it bad and it <laughs> was bad or someone took it bad oh man that's that's such a good question, because I feel like I've done that a lot. But I can't remember. I just, I, I don't think I can answer that question. Because I know I do that on a fairly regular basis. But it happens often enough that I just try and, like, compartmentalize it and just forget it. Because every time I think about it, it just makes me feel really awkward. And <laughs> So I don't know if I can answer that question. Uh, do you want to hear where the inspiration came from for this question? Yes, I do. Okay, so Sarah <laughs> once tweeted, just read one book. If you're going to, like, for oh, the last five years. Yeah. Yikes. The worst part was, so it became a whole thing on Twitter. Everyone called Sarah a gatekeeper for writing, blah, blah, blah. But when I asked Sarah this question, that was not what Sarah said as the answer. And I was livid. <laughs> I was like, Why? Yeah, I uh, I had a similar experience with that a while. I think it was like a year ago. This like big five editor put out this advice to uh, for agents to not send um, for agents to not send them manuscripts on the Friday before Christmas break. And I was like, that is a very reasonable thing to say, 
um, just because when editors come back to their inbox in January, it's going to be absolutely flooded with emails. So to, it just, anyway, so when, when she tweeted that these people, you know, came out of the woodwork to kind of talk shit on her and about how, you know, emails asynchronous, um, which it is, but when it comes to like a industry professional, like in a literary agent, that agent should be giving their clients the best chance possible. And it costs them nothing to wait like three weeks to submit other than three weeks of time. So it's the risk is just not worth the reward. And so I kind of dove into the, um, I kind of dove into the argument and I kind of was defending the, the editor and man, so many people came out and I just got, I got a lashing for that. It was, it was, it was rough, but I don't regret saying that because I still believe that I'm right. But just the fact that people on Twitter can to, I mean, that's kind of like, that's something that people talk about more these days, just about how bad dogpiling is. Cause it's kind of like, if someone talks out of their ass for, you know, 30 seconds while they're composing a tweet and that ends up just ruining their life or their career, that does not seem, um, that seems a little severe. You know, for talking out of your ass for for thirty seconds. So, um, yeah, I got dogpiled back then, and I was, it was uh, pretty upsetting to me. And you're still standing now. And I'm still standing. Look at you. Look at <laughs> me. High profile interview right here. But <laughs> read one book is like one of my favorite phrases that Sarah actually made me this resin keychain. That's actually amazing. Yeah, I tweeted it. I don't even know if you follow me on Twitter, but no biggie. But yeah, it's I, a whole I do. Keychain. Oh, you do. Oh, yeah. Oh, look at that. I'm famous, everyone. Yeah, no, I, uh, I mean, I, it, it all came back to when you were asking me what I was accepting, like that first year of Pitch Wars, and I didn't have my DMs open to people who I didn't follow. And so I, oh, that's right. I did tweet. I was like, by the way, you said DM you, but yeah. So fun I've been following you for a minute. <laughs> so, fun story, everyone. I actually did not even submit to Clay that year. I noticed that actually. I was yeah. like, this person uh, went through all the trouble to to slide in my DMs, and he didn't even submit to me. What's up with that? You didn't want funny, That's and true. then you chose funny. I did choose. I did choose funny. That was that was so strange. Because the thing is, is that like people will talk about how funny a book is, and I'll pick it up and be like, "This is not funny at all." Because the thing is, is that I know this is rapid fire, but I'm gonna you know talk anyway. Oh um, no, go for it. <laughs> I realize that I hate banter. And I think that's why I wasn't connecting with a lot of like YA books is because a lot of YA books, there's a lot of banter in them. And I just am not a fan of banter. And so um, that's why I, I decided to not accept funny books because I felt like a lot of it would just be banter that I just wouldn't like. But then uh, my, you know, Sean, my, my first mentee, he, his book was, was fairly funny, but it was less about the banter. He did have banter, but it was so genius that i loved it and then but it was a lot of like just just the characters were anyway but yeah so yeah i ended up picking a book that ended up being funny even though i told people not to send me funny stuff and i believe I, if i remember correctly sean only submitted to two mentors even though that you could submit to four which is another thing that i tell people not to do because it costs you nothing to submit to all the chances that you could get to get into pitch wars i literally did that this year i only submitted the three of you Oh, really? And I was like, share, share it with whoever. Yeah, fair enough. The thing is, is that 
what a lot of people don't realize is <laughs> mentors will will share manuscripts with each other but it's in very specific situations where they happen to know exactly what the mentor wants and they just it, it just things have to line up for them to 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 know that a specific manuscript might be good for a specific mentor that that person didn't submit to um because like i was mentioning earlier in the podcast is like i don't know most of the mentors i don't talk to them i don't know what they like um mentees the best idea to know what a mentor wants is like the mentees are in the best position for that because they're the ones actually reading like the wish lists and everything like i don't have time to read wish lists for you know 100 mentee or mentors and so it's you know it's nice that mentors can can share with each other but i would never bank on that as being like a good strategy but with that said like if you don't if, if there wasn't a fourth mentor that was accepting what you were submitting then you know i can't fault you for for not making a fourth one but it never hurts to you know just pick someone at random and just pray well, to be fair, I think it was also because I <laughs> I did the same manuscript. I edited it. And so I was like, oh, really? oh these people already read it. <laughs> Let me not waste their time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, <laughs> I would like to happily announce I have never gotten a request back world. So I don't know. In my head, that's like a whole special category. And I don't know why. I feel like a lot of people go through that. But I'm like, I won something. I mean, I submitted for three years and I only got one request in that third year and that's how I got my mentor. So I, my request rate was awful. So you're saying next year's my year. Next year's your year. Yep. But don't, don't take my word for it because I don't want you to, to go into the, 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 the submission period and be like, Hey, Clay said that I was going to get picked auto pick. So I'm only going to select you. Okay. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I told Sarah the same thing. I was like, Sarah, if you deny being my agent, I want you to know I'm never writing again. <laughs> so both of you can have the weight of my world. Awesome. Um, yeah. Oh, here we go. Next question is, what's a trend that went too far? What's a trend that went too far? Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of trends. I like... I think planking went too far because I'm pretty sure someone died because of it, but I I think so. But I also didn't know about planking until like it was already over. So I still thought it was funny. And I was like, why aren't more people planking? It's hilarious. Um, (laughs) (sighs) Oh, oh, I know. Social media. That went too far. That was a mistake. Too many, too many social media things no more facebook no more twitter it's it's not for it's not good for us we need to we need to cut that out (laughs) if you could rule an established country or territory in this world where and why vancouver island because that is where my family lives and i would like no that's a good question I don't know. I, I guess Vancouver Island, just so I could say that I'm the patriarch of the family. Haha, ha, I own your land now. But <laughs> that's not a very good reason. That's just the only one I could think of on a rapid fire question. Hey, it's what we're here for. Yeah. 
If you were the pageant contestant or a large platform holder, what would your philanthropy or cause be? My philanthropy or my philanthropy or cause would probably be to Hmm, that's a great question. To get more potable water to sub-Saharan Africa, I think. I know that a lot of efforts are being made toward that, but uh, I, I used to work at a software company called Aplos, and they did like accounting software for like nonprofit organizations. And so I got some visibility on some of the nonprofits that we would help. And I, there were some organizations there that were, that was doing that. And I was like, that seems really cool. And I feel like if that was something to get into, I feel like that would be it. Fun story, everyone. Kyle Monahan of episode number eight um, did Peace Corps in Africa. And he did a lot about water resources and stuff over there. They're actually building lakes so they could start a fishing and like, habitat ecology thing oh, wow. yeah so check that out and look at you clay look at me all right what avatar nation would you come from um uh, the air nation i guess because i actually that's actually yeah air nation because i senior year of high school i tried to get my pilot's license and so i was flying airplanes that year and because I love flying and I love space and I love being up in the air. So Air Nation all the way. Wow. Who would play you in a documentary or movie about your life? Um, I would say Ryan Reynolds because the one thing that I've always wanted to be as a person is funny. And so I would want someone who's really funny, but also really charming to play me. So everyone would think that I was funny, even though I'm not. I think you're funny. I know I've That's, been muted half this time, but... But I'm not Ryan Reynolds funny. I would love to be Ryan Reynolds funny, but that is impossible because he is perfect. <laughs> um, see, you made me laugh again. <laughs> saying he's perfect. <laughs> All right. Last one is, what's your ideal five minutes of fame? My ideal five minutes of fame? Oh, man. That's a good one. Oh, doing one of those like Red Bull jumps off of like low earth orbit. I feel like that'd be pretty cool. What? Yeah, there was this guy that, because you know how like those Red Bull like sponsors those like extreme athletes to do like these crazy stunts. Yeah. There's this one, there's this one guy that like went into like, I think it was, maybe it wasn't low earth orbit, but he went, I think maybe he got in, like a weather balloon or something, but he went like way higher than anyone who skydived had ever gone before. And he basically like in a spacesuit jumped off of that so that i would do that i think that would be my five minutes of fame doing that like, one did thing. he live oh yeah yeah he's a professional okay here i am having flashbacks to watching don't look up and stuff so oh don't look up yeah i forgot about that <laughs> so i'm like wait what but wow look at you you taught me a lot today actually oh i'm glad i've got a i'm i like to learn things but i don't have like super in-depth knowledge of a lot of things but i feel like i have pretty broad knowledge very surface level stuff because i like things i find them interesting but also just your life experience too like i didn't even know who your agent was until you started name dropping there oh yeah joshua he's great scared the shit out of me when i first met him but he's great now i got over that <laughs> now you're unintimidated exactly
All right, so where can people find you if they want to slide into your DMs like apparently everyone else has? Um, Except Joshua. <laughs> uh, well, as far as for writing, my website is clayharmanauthor.com. And then I have a author Twitter, which is Clay Harmon, uh, Roman numeral two, so double I. And as of right now, that's uh, all I've got. I've made a TikTok, but I haven't posted anything on it. I just like watching cat videos on it. Um, but who knows? Maybe that'll turn into a author TikTok in the future. <sighs> That's exciting. I love author TikTok. Yeah, it seems pretty cool. No, TikToks are... Oh, you actually, in Utah, you can get a lot of good like video backgrounds and stuff. That's true. But then I have to go outside, and I don't like going outside sometimes. I like I like being indoors, playing video games unfortunately it's too cold this time of year it's like an average of like 20 degrees every day so it's cold as shit right now your next camping trip yeah my next camping trip yeah as of the time of uh, this release of this recording it'll be the perfect time to go camping but i will not be camping because i'll be busy releasing a book maybe you could pull one of those like three-day live streams like Katy perry did with that album i don't know what Katy perry did with that album did she Oh, Just she like live stream for three days. Yeah, that but sounds this is a little like excessive. At the beginning of the live stream, and so she went on like James Corden show, and they did fill your guts or spill your guts, and she went to a therapy session where she broke down, and I was like, wow, this is acting at its finest, because I doubt that she did not plan to reveal all of this stuff in that session. Yeah, that's how they do it these days. But it was really impressive acting because she really just committed to the crying. Oh, yeah. Or maybe she felt that way, too, and she was actually just crying. Maybe I'll have to to do that for my release. Just <laughs> have, a, just have a, a breakdown. I was like, I could be the therapist on the other end. Okay, yeah. You'll, you'll talk me through it. Yep. Look at that. Part two coming. Yes. Probably, like, as you listen to part one, I guess. Um, <laughs> so... Thank you so much for popping on our show. And absolutely, it's my pleasure. Congrats. You've done your first interview. Thank you. It was it was a lot easier than I thought it'd be. I just uh just talked about things I like talking about, and that's uh, easier than I expected. Woo! Yeah. All right. So all you satellites out there, that's the fandom name. Uh <laughs> satellites, catch us next orbit. And yeah, if you have any questions, you could send them to Clay through his Twitter or you can DM the Instagram, the Twitter. I have a Gmail too, the shape of the, the shape of a star at gmail.com. All the handles are the same. All the things are the logo. It's very easy to find us or well, both of us actually. Yeah. And yeah, thanks for listening and catch us next time. Bye world. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.